Up next, the news you can use from YAA. It's your 30-minute fix for all your car questions, industry news, and tips you can use when buying your next vehicle. We're your hosts, Ray and Zach Shevska, the founders of YAA. We're here every weekday, live at noon Eastern. Check us out at joinyaa.com. Come on, get in! Well, according to the watch on my wrist, it's noon. And this is news that you can use from YAA on October 20th, four days before my daughter gets married. (laughs) Thoughts, thanks for that. I am so excited for today. All week, this has been like data week at YAA. We have been sharing as much information in the Arizona Cardinals. There you go. We've been sharing as much information as we can about what's going on in the market because it is crazy what's going on in the market. So earlier this week, we had state by state how inventory levels are changing. We also have done things about which brands, new and used cars have gone up the most and the least. Today, Dad, we thought we should actually get some experts in the house. So we have Laura Weehunt and Jared Kalfas from the Black Book team that we're going to bring on in just a moment. And we're going to dive deep on the latest market insights, what's going on in the used car market, and likely we'll touch on things in the new car market as well. Yeah, uh, that sounds good to me. I am so glad that we that we have um, some people that actually have expertise in this area as opposed to just you and I. Uh, you couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Well, let's well, bring so- them in. <laughs> <laughs> so we have here, we've got, we'll introduce Jared first, Jared Kalfas. Jared, do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself and then Laura as well? You guys, so you're not new to the channel. You've been here once before. We we didn't do poor enough that you actually invited us back and we appreciate it. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm Jared Kalfas. I'm uh, Executive Vice President of Revenue with BlackBook. Been here almost uh, 10 years and I'm a 26-year veteran of the industry. And I am Laura Weehunt. I am Vice President of Automotive Valuation. So my team is the one that is responsible for following this crazy market that we are in right now. We spend our days talking to everyone involved in this market right now, whether it's a dealer, a remarketer, the OEMs, whoever it is, we are trying to stay in touch with them to figure out what in the world is going on (laughs) and what's coming next. Like, hey, the magnesium shortage, new one today, curveball. (laughs) (laughs) So let's kick things off with a a pretty open-ended question. And Laura, I'll toss it to you first. What is going on in the used car market right now? (laughs) Is that a trick question? Uh, No, but honestly, like one thing I will kind of like preface this with and and share with our audience, I I pull up and we reference the Black Book market reports all of the time, all the different market insight reports. I'm going to share my screen just briefly to kind of provide a little bit of context before we dive deep on this together. This chart, this chart is incredible, right? We have the weekly price index for wholesale uh, used cars, over 40% uh, uh, from where we started at the beginning of the year. This purple line is unlike any other year we've had. And I love how you guys put this gold line for 2009 to provide some context. So I guess I'll come back to it, Laura. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, so you know, a lot of this really is being driven by the inventory shortage, both new and used. So you know, we hear so much about the new inventory shortage because of the microchips and and all of that, and now magnesium. And it seems like it's constantly something new that is impacting our new car production. But what that also means is we've had a shortage of used cars, also, which is what is not only are you having new buyers that are having to go buy used, but you have your normal used buyers that are in the market for that segment that we don't have the normal supply. 
Um, we've now had, you know, we're going on two years almost of reduced rental purchasing. So we don't have those coming back to market. Same with your fleet companies. Um, you don't have repossessions. We still don't have repossessions coming back to market. That's a huge piece of it. We don't have lease returns. Um, there just aren't the same number of those. And if they do come back, um, they really don't make it into the wholesale auctions because they're being scooped up by those franchise dealers. Those grounding dealers are buying those. So they're not making it into your traditional auction environment, which is really keeping those away from any of your independents. Um, in some cases, we've even had those manufacturers that are only allowing um, the grounding dealer of that franchise of, you know, so if it's a, if it's a Lexus, it only can be um, paid off by a Toyota Lexus dealer. Um, so you could not go and try to trade in your leased Lexus at a Chevrolet dealership. Um, so we've really been seeing some just crazy things happening and it's all just sending the values up. Um, both retail and wholesale. And it really is just driven by that lack of supply on the new and the used. I, I, one of the things that I've noticed is that there are slightly different players in the used car market as well. Th what I mean by that is buying up used cars and those would be uh, rental car agencies <laughs> because um, for instance, a great rental car um is the Chevy Malibu. Well, Chevrolet hasn't been able to build the Malibu for nine or 10 months, and they're getting ready to reboot the Malibu plant. Um, so, you know, these, these rental car companies have been forced to dip into the used car market to buy cars that they can then turn around and rent. And, and so it is taking inventory that would normally be available to the mm -hmm. general public. It's taking it out of the out of the pipeline for those people. So mm -hmm. it's, it's worsening the shortage with, because you have different players in the market. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's something we have definitely never seen before. You're you're used to seeing the rental companies as sellers at mm -hmm. the auction, but in my 10 years at Black Book, I've never seen them buying in the way that they have been buying. Um, and they are really, you know, for them to even buy used is, really unheard of. Jared, I know you, you've you been in the, the rental space in the past, and I don't know if that's ever, you know, have you ever seen that before where they've bought you? Yeah. No, as someone who started their career a long time ago in the rental car space and um, has spent time um, acquiring vehicles, um, I can tell you that way back when, traditionally, the rental car companies would put their orders in in the spring take those deliveries in the fall. So they're supposed to be taking deliveries of new vehicles right now um, and, and processing out, uh, flipping and remarketing the old ones. That's not happening. Instead, to your point, Ray, they're, they're dipping into the traditional wholesale market at those auctions, both online and inline, uh, because travel and, and business demand has gone back up. Mm -hmm. And so they need those vehicles for consumer demand. Um, and it, it's no different than supply and demand. Now, now you have another bidder with a bigger checkbook, um, and you know, typically vast resources that are bidding against the typical franchise and even smaller resourced independent dealers. And that that's tough for those. Well, can I ask a question? Um, you know, there, there's been a tremendous amount of consolidation in, in the new car industry, as far as dealership groups and, 
and obviously those large dealership groups have deep pockets. What do the mom and pop stores do? I mean, how are they supposed to, to, to procure cars and be able to stay in business? Because obviously the OEMs are telling them, if you want to be in the car business, you're not going to have new cars to sell. So you're going to have to be in the used car business. And they don't have the deep pockets to compete for these cars against against rental car companies, Carvana, CarMax, Froome, um, AutoNation, Penske. I mean, what do the mom and pops do? What are you hearing? Yeah, so we, we speak to them often. Um, and you've hit just about every tick box there of, of what we'll call competitors and, and influencers in the market. You, you've got the, the rental car companies that are that are dipping in now. Uh, we talked about that. You've got the large consolidators. Uh, just just read this morning that Lithia uh, reported their earnings and they, they almost doubled their profit last oh quarter. Uh, and part of that is because they acquired a ton more stores. Um, and then you've got the, you know, the online disruptors, the CarMaxes, the Vrooms, the Carvanas, uh, the, um, the folks, you know, the shifts, all those folks that are out there, they're all competing and they all have either, you know, private equity money or they've got, you know, their own money. Um, and there's only one resource they need. They can't sell anything if they don't have inventory. So they're bidding those vehicles up, the mom and pops to your point. Um, who are really the, the backbone. Think about all the buy here, pay here stores, the independent mm -hmm. stores. Those are really the backbone, kind of the blue collar, you know, type of, of, of folks that, uh, you know, are, are, don't have those deep pockets, don't have those resources. They're getting hurt. And we have seen uh, several of them that we know of uh, close because uh, they just can't compete. They have no inventory and they don't have the money to bid up and compete. I want to open up the conversation to the chat as well. There's a couple hundred people here. So if you have questions for Jared or Laura, probably not for me or my dad, but let us know in the chat and I'll, I'll cue some of them up. I have one for both of you, which is the sales rate. So when a, when a vehicle goes to the auction, doesn't necessarily always sell at the auction. However, one of the really interesting pieces of information that you share in your weekly insights uh, back on the Black Book website are the sales rates. And the sales rate has been 72% this week and, and last week as well, which is pretty high if I'm reading the chart correctly. Can you talk both Jared and Laura about like the types of vehicles that are making it to auction and the condition of those vehicles? My dad and I have encouraged everyone for two years now to get pre-purchase inspections as consumers going to purchase used vehicles. What's the condition of those vehicles that are selling at a 72% rate at the auction right now? So what we're seeing actually make it to the auction right now, for the most part, they are of a lower quality. Um, we are seeing a lot more structural damage, you know, even just even cosmetic damage. But I think one of the concerning ones is that structural damage. Um, and we're seeing a lot more of those announcements. So, yes, that's really good advice to any consumers, because especially on a vehicle that's been purchased at the auction, I would be wary just because anything of a higher quality is being purchased most of the time in an upstream setting. So a lot of times any kind of trade-in, the dealer's going to keep it. A trade-in right now is easy inventory. I mean, it's already at your lot. It may need, you know, a little bit of reconditioning, you know, a good cleanup, maybe a service, and it's ready to go to go out on the front line. Um, you know, if it's taken to the auction, there's probably a reason it's taken to the auction. So we've definitely seen a deterioration in the quality of what we're seeing. We've also seen not a lot of vehicles at the auction. You know, a part of why that sales percentage is so high is because 
really your denominator here, the total number being offered is so small. And so there's a lot of demand for those few vehicles that are making it to the auction. Um, anything that does make it, especially from like the, the OEM side, where it's a newer used unit. So, you know, a 19, 20, 21, if it's got decent miles on it and it, you know, looks fairly decent, the values for those are just sky high. Because again, that's one of those that the rental companies, they're going to be all mm -hmm. over them. Um, and especially anything that could be CPO'd, that's another one right now because you can't get new cars. There's a high demand for anything that can be CPO'd. Pops, if you don't mind, could you shed a little bit of light on stock numbers? So for everyone that's at home and searching on dealer websites and seeing vehicles, can you share a little hit or tip about stock numbers and how you can know if a vehicle was traded in versus potentially bought at an auction? Well, if it's if it's a trade, it would be the previous car stock number plus the letter A at the end, which would indicate a trade. And then if there's a trade on a trade, it would become that that stock number plus the letter B. If it's if it's a vehicle that has been purchased either from another dealer or at a wholesale level at the auctions, uh, the stock number normally starts with a P to indicate that it was a purchase car. But but now I have a question for for Jared and, and Laura as well. And and since you guys are in touch with so many people in the industry, have you heard anything about dealerships uh, changing their aging policy as to how they approach? Um, uh, the age of their used car inventory. In the past, um, historically, dealers either worked on a 90-day or a 60-day turn policy for their pre-owned cars. But I would imagine today, and I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine that as cars keep appreciating in value, um, that that they would throw out that 60 or 90 day turn policy and there's there's probably no such thing as as their age because as they get it's, it's like a fine wine it gets better with age and becomes more valuable yeah anecdotally the answer is yes right uh in 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 more traditional times uh a, a dealer would keep that vehicle to your point 70 80 90 days and they would have milestones Mm -hmm. uh, that that vehicle would drop in price, you know, if, after 15 days, you drop it a little bit after 30 days, you drop it a little bit more and so on and so on until you got to that 90th day. And then it's, we got to get that thing out because nobody wants it these days. Um, they are pricing it to the market with even potentially addendums on top of that. Um, and they're not budging. And so the, the, the traditional playbook of, take an offer, negotiate, see what you can get. Um, if not, we'll, we'll decrease the price um, and, and remarket it if we need to. It's been thrown out the window in, in, in many cases. Uh, they're, they're setting the price based on market. They are using data more to drive mm -hmm. the decisions, which, which we certainly appreciate and, and applaud them for. Um, but the negotiation, um, it, it, it's for the most part a one price store uh, approach, um, which I think you could be an advocate of in more traditional times. But in, th in this case, it's, hey, let's let, you know, the market is, is ruling. Let's let's get what we can get. Well, and I think part of that problem is I, I could be an advocate for one price store. The problem when it, especially when it comes to pre-owned. But the problem is that the sales staffs at most of these dealerships are not really trained as to how you can explain the value of doing business in a one price atmosphere. And, and so um, the salespeople tend to have more of an adversarial type uh, 
relationship with the customer of take it or leave it as as opposed to explaining why it's more valuable for you to do it this way it's easier it it doesn't matter if you're a good negotiator or a bad negotiator everybody's paying the same price and and so part of it is how the dealership personnel there's to it there's a few things that I think are, are important with that with that statement that that we know and we've noticed and we've had conversations with dealers about. The first is that no one's really selling right now. Mm-hmm. If you if you've got the inventory, you can you can get the price. Um, and so the, the the sales skills are are, are not in demand right now. Um, that's that's number one. Number two, dealers are punch drunk on profits, um, and they're they're making hay while the sun shines. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we get nervous um, from an analytics company, and even when you talk to the forthcoming, transparent, you know, good business people, dealers, and there are plenty of them out there, mm-hmm. but, um, we get nervous because the the price of these vehicles is inflated. It's very similar to a house, uh, and the repercussions a couple of years from now on negative equity that you're overpaying, so to speak, for that vehicle today based on market pricing and that makes sense um but when the market corrects and it it will uh at some point uh you're going to be potentially upside down in that vehicle and uh, owe more than it's worth and that's what gets us nervous do, do you guys have conversations with the with the banks and the lending institutions because i'm curious as to how the banks can justify lending the amount of money that is required to purchase some of these vehicles when historically um, uh, they they want greater participation from a customer to begin with. Yeah, there's a term called loan to value, LTV, mm-hmm. that's in the industry. And that essentially says that, you know, the vehicle is worth $20,000. The bank may loan 110% of that. So they'll loan $22,000 on top of that. We are more in touch with our lender clientele these days than ever before in the nine and 10 years that Laura and I have both been here. It's many conversations per week. And they are trying to determine from a forecasting standpoint um, what's going on in the marketplace. Because once they get these vehicles in their inventory, they have to depreciate those loans correctly. And they're in the the risk mitigation business where they don't want you to not be able to pay your monthly payment on that vehicle because you've realized that the vehicle is worth less than what you owe. You just walk away from it. Um, It's a very nervous time. Uh, They've got to continue to loan money because they got to feed the engine. They got to fuel, fuel that. Um, We are beginning to see that the underwriting, the criteria of what they're writing, the loans are similar to mortgages Mm -hmm. uh, is becoming uh, more and more important. And we're, you know, asking them to keep that, front and center, ensure you've got the job and you've got the payments and you've got the credit that you can actually do that. They're in business to make money too. Um, but they're looking around the corners more, um, anticipating um, that, wow, these these vehicles are, are, are certainly from an LTV standpoint, um, higher than normal. And right. so let's let's pivot the conversation a little bit to what is on the horizon. And then I also want to to ask both you, Jared and Laura, to talk about maybe some adjacent industries as well. I know at BlackBook, you not only provide your clients like at YAA, we, if you're a consumer, if you're a YAA member, you can get BlackBook trade in valuations and things like that back on the joined YAA website. So we're a client of BlackBook. You provide 
clients with information about power sports and ATVs and RVs. And so maybe if you could touch on what's happening in those markets as well. But in advance of that, what's the forecast look like? Maybe not getting super granular, but we had a question come up in the chat here a couple of moments ago. I'm trying to find it. What's the prediction for used sedan market in January to February of 2022? I know we don't have a crystal ball, but do we see a light at the end of the tunnel or in the conversations that you're having with your partners, everyone's kind of throwing their hands in there and saying, you know, we're in this together. We don't know what's happening. What, what's your take? So at this point, um, we're not really seeing light at the end of the tunnel on the new inventory front really until later in 2022 to into 2023 is what we're hearing now. I mean, really in some of these, in some of the segments, particularly in your, your trucks, your SUVs, they're not expecting, the owners are not expecting to, to meet demand until later in 2023 now. Um, so, you know, I think our only unknown, the thing that we're really watching closely is consumer demand. Um, we, you know, consumer confidence has dropped. Yeah. So that's something we're really, really watching carefully. So the supply side, not looking to get better anytime soon to be able to push those values back down in the near term. Um, I think the only thing that really could do that right now would be the demand. So we're watching that very closely. But, you know, as of right now, we really are expecting um, by January, February of next year, you know, that's when we would traditionally start moving into a, the spring market, that tax season market where values would see a bump anyway. Um, I, you know, I think we're going to, this is, we're in it for a little bit longer, unfortunately. Yeah, it kind of feels um, like this is the new normal. Um for a while, for yeah. an unknown amount of time. So what about some of those tangential markets or adjacent markets, if you don't mind, like maybe, um, yeah, big yeah. trucks and power sports. So, um, yeah, so we cover, you know, medium and heavy duty trucks, power sports, um, RVs, you know, everything from a travel trailer up to your, you know, class C, you know, the large like tour bus looking thing out there on the road. Um, and all of those have been incredibly strong. All of those markets have been strong. I would say the only one that we haven't seen any as big of variations would be our collectible car market. Those have tended to go along as more we would we would expect them to behave. And I think that's because it's a very different type of buyer for those. Um, but your power sports and your RV market with social distancing, those have become activities that families can do together and be socially distanced from other strangers. And so the demand has been incredibly strong. Um, October was the first month for power sports that we actually did see some declines in those values, which is very typical for this time of year, with the exception of snowmobiles that went up. Again, very expected. We're, we're going to head into the, the winter months for those to go up. Um, I, my feeling on those is that that's temporary. Um, you know, we had so many months of increases that we would see some softening that would be traditional softening. We saw it in the car market. We had a few weeks we of value starting to decline before we started to go back up again. Um, and so I do expect that we'll start to see those values go up again. Also, um, RVs, we haven't seen anything <laughs> any let up in those. They are just continuing to increase month after month after month. Um, people have found a new way to vacation. 
Um, we'll see how long that lasts, but it appears for now that one is continuing and it's also facing new inventory shortages. Um, the demand, the production can't keep up on those. Uh, can I ask? Can I ask a question that would relate to you specifically, Zach? Um, how about in those Vespa-style scooters? How are they doing? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the only reason I ask is is Zach has one, and and you know maybe he should hold on to it, and it'll double in value. I think it is worth saying that we're seeing a similar trend in the in the RV. Uh, portion of the market where there's a handful, two or three large, large consolidators that are going in and buying up the mom and pop and two and three, four store franchises. So very similar to what's going on on the auto side of the business where you have AutoNation and Lithia and Penske and Group One and Sonic and those folks, the money is, is flowing into the RV side because it is so profitable um, at this time that those consolidators are buying up you know, the camping worlds of the world and, and those types of folks are, are just buying everything right now. So it's, it's tough no, no matter which way you go. Yeah, it definitely is. So I want to be respectful of your time, Jared and Laura. I remember when you put me in touch with your booker and they said you only had 20 minutes. We're already at 20. You guys don't have a booker. You're very kind to us though. Um, <laughs> no, but thank you for being here. And so I want to ask one final question on my end and, and pops, if you've got a, a parting shot as well for Jared and Laura, um, please, you know, I want to make sure you hear it uh, or we hear it. You mentioned the thing that you're looking at most closely, Laura, is um, consumer demand, right? And that piece sticking around. Are there any other leading indicators that as car buyers here, I just saw uh, in the chat here a moment ago, we had um, uh, Josh say, looking to get a 2022 Civic Sports sedan, which just quoted MSRP and another dealer, MSRP 2500. What a bad time to need a car. You're not going to really find any deals under MSRP, but what are the leading indicators that are going to tell us both in the new car market and used car market that things are shifting, things are changing? Is it just the consumer demand? Is it the production numbers? What are those leading indicators you all are looking at? I think the production. So right now, you know, if you if you keep up with industry news, it seems like every week there are new announcements from multiple manufacturers about production shutdowns, you know, reduction in shifts, that kind of thing that are impacting their output. I think that's a big one. Once we start to get production back up and going where we can start to get into normal purchasing by your rental companies and you know, being able to satisfy that demand, I think that's when we're going to start to see, you know, some type of a correction. Um, but until then, you're going to continue to see markups um, on these new vehicles. You know, you're you're getting a great deal if you can buy a new car at MSRP. Um, you know, even even the rental companies, they're going to dealers and saying, I'll pay you MSRP. They just need vehicles. So everybody, you know, there's that com competition right there. Um, you know, seek out the dealer that's willing to, to sell it to you for MSRP. Um, because there are the ones out there that they're, they're marking it up because they can't, because there yes. aren't any out there. Um, or if you can wait, you can order one. You may be waiting six months, but that's a way, you know, in some cases you can, you can lock in your price because we are also, we will see increases in pricing, especially as we're seeing those 22 prices released they're going to be increased from 21 on a lot of vehicles. So if you could, and, and sometimes they'll do mid-year increases too. So watch out for that. You could go ahead and lock in that price now. 
one final question for me, and I and I know the big concern for the manufacturers is they want to keep building trucks and SUVs. But as inflation rears its ugly head and fuel costs continue to go up, uh, is there any concern from the manufacturers with uh, gas prices spiking? Um, you know, once we start hitting like five dollars a gallon for gas, suddenly those SUVs and trucks don't look quite as good to consumers as they had in the past. Is there any concern from the manufacturers at this time for that? I have not heard anything about it. It is something we have talked about internally that normally this increase in gas prices that we have seen would normally be a topic of conversation for us mm-hmm. because we would start to see the values declining on those segments. And that has not been the case. They seem very um, unconcerned with what fuel prices are right now. Um, so obviously we're going to watch that. But right now I've heard nothing, seen no market reactions from it. Um, nobody, they're they're pushing that production towards those crossovers, SUVs um, and, and pickup trucks. But you've also now you've got some engines in those that your fuel economy is not as bad as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can get the, you know, Ford's the EcoBoost engines and you're, I mean, you've got so many different options now in these SUVs and full-size trucks that you can get some pretty decent fuel economy. Great. I was just curious about that. Well, Laura, Jared, um, thank you both so much for being here. Everyone in the chat, if you can give them a thank you as well. Um, we can't, you know, we just appreciate so much the insights, the the partnerships and relationships you have to come here uh, and share with the YA community so we can all be more informed. It's just hugely powerful. And we really, really, from the bottom of our hearts, appreciate it. Yeah, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having us on. Thank you both. I queued up here kind of like some outro music. So we'll give this a try. Mm-hmm. Ready? There goes Jared. There goes Laura. So you know my my production skills could use some work, but that's- well, you know they're better than they were. <laughs> Pops, that was fantastic. We it can't. Was. I mean, we are so fortunate. Um, I guess I can get rid of the name tags now. I put those on so that everyone knew um, who was who. But I mean. Come on now. I mean, that is awesome. The fact that they're willing to share that time with us. They're talking to the OEMs. They're talking to the financial institutions. I mean, that's that's hugely powerful. Yeah, they're just tremendous insights and and some of the insights that we rely on every week um, so that we can come up with the uh, theories that we come up with uh, as to what we see going on in the market. And and they validate what we've been saying and uh, it's 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 a scary time to be in the automobile industry, um, to be a dealer, uh, especially to be a mom and pop dealership, um, and and you know there doesn't seem to be as Laura said there really doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel at, at this point in time. So we have one other topic that we want to hit on here today. I know we're at half an hour, so we're going to go a little long. But, Dad, we need to talk about it. It's honestly the the, the latest and greatest breaking news, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, and I actually do have you know uh, an adlet for this. We have a new shortage. Um, so everyone is aware of the chip shortage. Uh, yeah. And, and all the production issues that have been coming up as a result of the chip shortage. There's now, Dad, a magnesium shortage. And this is um, this is not good. Like, this is genuinely, 
we can't afford to have another thing go poorly in automotive production right now. That is correct. This, this comes from, we've got two articles, one here from Jalopnik, Steve De Silva. Thank you, Steve, for, for writing this. The car shortage is about to get a whole lot worse. A critical element in everything from engines to bodies is in short supplies. What we've learned, Dad, is that the global supply of magnesium, which primarily runs through China, um, is short. And it's not going to get fixed anytime soon. And this is affecting not only automotive, but a lot of industries are going to feel the pain from this. Oh, yes. And and it turns out that China uh, produces 85% of the magnesium that's used. And they have like 55 factories that, that help to... to uh, to mine this and and to uh, manufacture uh, the goods. And because of power issues that they are having in China, they've asked 40 of those 55 factories to shut down, crippling the world for the magnesium that it needs. In Europe, for instance, they get 95% of their magnesium that they need from China. And the reason um, we're learning about this now, to be clear, is that third quarter earnings are happening for the publicly traded companies. Mm-hmm. So all of the executives on these conference calls, these quarterly um, earnings calls, they're waving the flag and they're saying, hey, uh, you know, chip shortage has been bad. And this is not just auto industry. This is all industries. Chip shortage has been bad. But we got to tell you about the next thing that's on our horizon, which is our magnesium input costs are going through the roof. And you don't and- realize how many things are built with magnesium. Well, and and what people don't realize is, uh, you know, aluminum uses magnesium. There's 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 magnesium in just about everything. If you have an iPhone and it has an aluminum body or an aluminum strip around it, guess what? It uses magnesium. If the the engine block in most cars is an aluminum engine block, that uses magnesium. Body panels on cars. Um, you know, I, I'm sitting here with a with a, a MacBook Air, and well, that's got an aluminum skin, doesn't it? So that uses magnesium. It's in everything, and there's just going to be a tremendous shortage of it, and it's going to impact consumers, regardless of whether it's just vehicles. It'll impact consumers in their everyday lives. Absolutely. And so, again, the way, the reason that we're hearing about this now, please do not shoot the messenger. We are simply here as advocates. YAA, your advocate alliance. We're just sharing the information as we receive it. Used car prices that we just talked about with Jared and Laura from BlackBook, they're going to continue to go up. Magnesium is now going to hamper uh, production of new vehicles even more. The chip crisis is continuing to hamper production of new vehicles. There's a global, there's, there are pros and cons to having a global supply chain. Big pro. You can do a bunch of just-in-time manufacturing where you know you don't have a lot of uh, carrying costs for the inventory of like the inputs for what goes into producing the final good. Con, when one part of that breaks, the whole system breaks. And we yeah. are experiencing that today. And the ramifications for this are not going to be felt just tomorrow or next week. This is going to be around for quite some time. My words, years. This is not going away anytime soon. And so as consumers, we have to begin to understand what implications that's going to have on our, you know, buying decisions and things like that. And we would not be surprised if, you know, Laura mentioned it during our our interview with her. MSRPs on new vehicles going to go up. It's just inevitable. Yep. Everything. The MSRP on everything is going to go up. 
All right. So thanks for being here live. If you want us to have more guests on the show, please let us know in the chat. If you can, back on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, just search for um, uh, Daily News You Can Use from YAA. Leave us your reviews. Let us know what you want to hear more of. If you have suggestions for people we should have on the channel, Dad, there's a YouTuber out there, Dave B. Sells Chevy. He's a person at a Chevy dealership. I reached out to him. I want to get him on the show. I, I think if we can get more and more people on the platform and we can educate and share with different perspectives, that'd be beneficial but let us know and we'll do our best to make it happen i'm in i'm in you just let me know well i think i do know when to show up every day monday through friday at noon eastern join us again next time which is probably tomorrow to get the news you can use from yaa yaa is your trusted source for all things auto thanks for listening see you soon soon.